Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to be talking about the preacher. And no, we're not going to go back to the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're actually going to go to an article that's been shared over 800 times on Facebook, which tells me that it was pretty impactful. And people really felt the need to share this and get this information out. And as such, I'm going to piggyback on this because I thought the article was very good. I thought it was well written. It was concise. It didn't embellish. It didn't overstate things, and it didn't underemphasize things. I thought it was very good. Now, before we get into the meat of, that, of this podcast, I would invite you to turn your attention to the show notes. Uh, we are selling T-shirts. Well, I, we are selling T-shirt. We have one T-shirt, one T-shirt design from Christian Swag Design. That's me, and um, I'm going to have more T-shirts. I've got some more in the works. Um, don't worry, I'm I'm not going to have anything with my face on it or anything like that, but hopefully it's going to be pithy saying stuff that lends itself well to being put on t-shirts, and that's a way you can support me and get something back in return besides more of me talking. Now, you can also support me financially at www.patreon.com forward slash near churches. You can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. And uh, you can also just send me a PayPal through nearchurches at gmail.com. Uh, you can send me a PayPal there and just say, hey, man, this is for helping with the podcast. Right now, all of the money that you give me as a podcaster goes into advertising the podcast. We're really growing. I'm very happy about our growth. Um, my goal is to have 5,000 downloads per month by the end of 2023. 5,000 downloads a month by the end of 2023. Right now we have 2,000. I think that we can grow that in 12 months, but we need you to be the algorithm. Be the algorithm for us. Share the podcast. I, can't, I cannot stress that enough. Share the podcast. Now, let's get into the meat of our podcast. I'm so glad. I hope you're hope you sticking around and listening. I'm going to go, uh, I won't be able to see your comments, so bear with me, but this, this article was written Tuesday, January 3rd, 12 things you need to know about your preacher, and it's been shared over 800 times. It was posted by uh, Dwayne Bryant, and it is dwaynebryant.wordpress.com. The link is in the show notes. I highly suggest you go and, and read it. Anyway, I'm going to read some of it here today, maybe a lion's share of it. In reflecting upon my time as a full-time minister, I'm thankful for the opportunities I've had or I had to serve in two different congregations as a preacher. I encountered many wonderful people, many of whom I remember fondly and miss dearly. Unfortunately, many people have no idea what it takes to be a successful minister or how many daily challenges that fa they, they face. Let me tell you how my mind interpreted that. I encountered many wonderful people, many of whom I remember fondly and miss dearly. Unfortunately, I also encountered many terrible people 
whom I am very glad to be rid of out of my life. My life is better for their absence in it. That's the way I interpret that. He is just probably much more graceful than I. But I'm telling you, as a gospel preacher, you run across people like this. Not like the author, but like like people that are very, the, the best place for them is far away from you because you can do nothing to please them. They are going to hurt you. Now, he goes on to say, I've created a list of things I wish people had known when I was a minister. I hope this helps you to appreciate your ministers better. It's a long post, but please take the time to read this entire list. Come back to it in a couple of days and reread it. Then make one of your New Year's resolutions to encourage your minister more this year. He is lonely, and so is his wife, number one. This is a big one. People usually keep the preachers or the preacher at arm's length. It's almost as if preachers have a holy aura around them that ordinary folk instinctively avoid. Consequently, preachers rarely get invited to hang out with other guys. His wife will get very few invitations to spend time with other ladies, while everyone else goes to lunch on Saturday with friends or on short trips or vacations with other families in the congregation. The minister's family will be at home. Few people seem to realize that ministers and their wives need social contact too. And then they'll see pictures everyone else posts on Facebook. Statistics indicate that 70% of ministers, one, do not have a close friend in the congregation where they serve, and two, constantly battle depression. 50% are so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they had another way to support their families. Folks, we have developed a very bad thing in the Lord's church where we set our preachers up as clergy. They're, as, as the author says, they have a holy aura around them. It's different when the preacher is around. And folks don't like to, folks don't like to have the preacher around because they have to be on their best behavior. This is not good. This shows that there's a lot of disingenuous Christians out there. There's a lot of sometime Christians out there. We ostracize people who are different from us. The preacher should not be different from the congregation. And that's all there is to it. Let's keep going. Number two, ministers and their families are watched constantly. Ministers and their families are often the most highly scrutinized members of a congregation. They live in a fishbowl where everything pings on the radar. The slightest misstep, a word spoken out of turn, a simple error in judgment, looking at someone the wrong way, not shaking someone's hand every single service. The same goes for his wife and kids. His wife will likely be criticized more often than any other woman in the congregation. Members sometimes feel they have the right to correct his children. In all, ministers and their families are held to a higher standard than almost anyone else. Absolutely. And the members at large feel that they have a right to place these 
demands, these strictures on the preacher. They they feel entitled that to to express their opinions and desires on how the preacher and his family conducts themselves and that that they are entitled to have authority in their voice to be listened to. This that people need to understand they're not in charge. And the elders cannot facilitate this environment by being a go-between for the members at large to discipline the preacher by proxy through the elderships, the eldership acting by proxy uh, on behalf of some of the most vocal, highly critical members of the congregation. This is, this, ba- this is bad, and it leads to this environment and this statistic of most preachers want to quit. Most preachers would do something else to f- if, they, if, they had a, if they had the ability to do it. But most of the time, a, a person who's a preacher has focused so much time in developing that particular skill set that they haven't developed anything else. It would be like asking a doctor, well, you've been a doctor for 20 years. Well, why don't you just go do something else to feed your family? Because the only thing I know is being a doctor. It's not like I work at GMC or it's not like I work at General Motors and I'm fed up with how I'm treated at General Motors, so I'll go build cars at, cars at Ford. It's like I, I work at MTD in, in Martin, Tennessee, in Weekly County in Martin, Tennessee, and I'm fed up with how they treat me, so I'm going to go work at another lawnmower factory. That's not how that works. It's not like you're a car salesman for Cadillac. They make you mad. They treat you bad, so you're, you're, you go be a car salesman for uh, Pontiac. Is Pontiac still around? Anyway, you get the idea. They're watched constantly. They cannot live up to the scrutiny that that these people put them under. All right, let's keep going. He will be, and, and notice these these kind of seem to me gradient in nature. Like number three was worse than number two. Number two is worse than number one. Number three, he will be criticized often, many times without just cause. Members become experts in receiving criticism. Ministers, excuse me. Ministers become experts in receiving criticism from people who complain to them because they don't know who else to pester. If you want to know the most vicious and cruelest things that one Christian has ever said to another, talk to a minister. I was at a congregation, and we had a visiting preacher preach. And after that sermon, one of the members of that congregation where I was a minister said to me, one of these days you might learn to preach like that or, or something to that effect. And I just looked him straight in the eye and said, no, sir, I don't want to preach like that at all. I don't really like that kind of preaching. I was the bad guy. I gave my opinion. That man gave his opinion. Why was I the bad guy for giving my opinion and he was the good guy for giving his? Because I'm the hired hand. I'm the hired help. If you want to know the most vicious and cruelest thing, and incidentally, that's not wasn't really a vicious or a cruel thing. I'm not going to share some of the vicious and cruel things I've heard about me through the years, and I'm not going to share some of the vicious and cruel things I've heard about preachers through the years. My suggestion, if you think that your preacher is dealing with discouragement, you go to him and you say, hey, I've just read this article. What are some of the bad things that's been said to you by members who maybe don't even know that what they're saying is vitriolic and vicious and cruel. And you get that man talking, 
and you might just save his entire career. You might save his relationship with God. Ministers, they've, ministers, almost, they've almost got a monopoly on it. But it isn't just him. His wife and kids get it too. The minister's children often get rebuked because it sends a message to other kids or the youth group. And the preacher's wife will receive similar treatment, especially if she has responsibilities. My wife oversaw the K-6 through education program at one congregation. She was criticized for absurd things like the color of the paint on the walls, not her decision, or the decorations in the classrooms, the teacher's responsibility, not hers. For reasons like this, many ministers keep their guard up because we've all been burned at some point in the past. Unfortunately, members rarely say anything positive when they're pleased. They reserve comments for when they're upset, which means that when members talk to the ministers, what he hears is primarily negative. Listen, listen to me close, my brethren. I want you to lean in and listen to this. If you can't say something nice, then don't say nothing at all. You remember that? that, that that's, that's, a, that's from a children's cartoon. We need to learn that. Statistics show that 40% of ministers have a serious conflict with a church member at least once a month. A church should be full of Christians, not Karens. I love the story about Johnny Ramsey. The story about Johnny Ramsey is this. A woman called him one day complaining about how terrible she felt, how lonely she felt, and complaining about the congregation and complaining about Johnny Ramsey. Nobody ever comes and sees me. Nobody cares about me. And he says, sister, you make me sick. Go to the store, buy a pie or bake a pie, carry it to a shut-in, and leave me alone. I've got work to do, and he hangs up on her. Sunday rolls around. She meets him in the aisle between the set of pews, and she says, Brother Johnny, I've got something to say to you. He said, I figure you might. I've never been more mad in anybody in my life as I was mad at you the other day when I called, and the only thing that I could do to quell my anger, to deal with it, I went and I baked that pie, and I carried it to Sister So-and-So, the shut-in, and we drank tea or drank coffee and had pie, And we had a wonderful visit all afternoon. It's the happiest I've been in a long time. Thank you so much. The reason we have a bunch of Karens in the church is because we have a bunch of weak, lily-livered, panty-waist elderships that don't know how to quell that foolish, sinful behavior. And if a preacher, God forbid, stands up against it and squashes it and nips it in the bud the way he should, the way Johnny Ramsey did in that story, he would be fired and sent down the road because the sinful, complaining, pretend Christian is more important to them than the man of God that they have serving with them. Shame on these people. It makes me sick, and I've seen it time and time again, and it's happened to me. I'm pretty vocal about it. I don't care. it's, It's been rough. All right, number four, members will gossip about the minister and his family. It's kind of like the old joke. Uh, it, it's, 
it's absolutely wrong to lie and everybody believes it except when you're talking to the cops, except when you're talking to a lawyer. Well, that's not right. And, and we know that gossip is bad. We know that cutting people down behind their back is bad. We know that Philippians 2.14, that secret debates and um, issues unavowed, issues unresolved. Well, hold on a second. Now I've lost, my, I've lost the definition in my head of that Greek term. Let me go to Philippians on my e-sword and get that, get that, um, get that word before I go crazy. All right. Uh, do all things without murmuring and complaining. The word here means a secret displeasure, not openly avowed, a secret debate, grumbling, uh, and then disputings, murmurings and disputings. I'm sorry, Philippians 2.14. Disputings is uh, the thinking of a man deliberating within himself, a thought, inward reasoning, deliberating, questioning about what is true, hesitation, doubting. So it's a sin for a person to have that secret debate even within himself. You have got to go talk to the person that said whatever it is you're disagreeing with. Well, you can't go to other people and you can't just you can't just sleep on it either. You've got to resolve it. Well, this is something that is practiced with every other member of the congregation, but you don't have to do that with the preacher. Why? I believe it's because we have an understanding that he's the hired help. You'd like to think that, now this is the article now, you'd like to think that the that members would be more spiritually mature, but no. Plenty of Christians will gossip about the minister. He will work hard to care about each person, even though he knows some of them would verbally stab him in the back in a heartbeat. I've been gossip, gossiped about, lied about, and criticized without warrant but I still had to keep a stiff upper lip about it. So did my wife, because if I reacted the way other people, I might be tempted to respond. If, if I reacted the way other people might be tempted to respond, I could have lost my job. Let me tell you something, brethren, and, and I'm, I, I appreciate the person that wrote this article, but he's part of the problem. You have to be willing to lose your job. If all the preachers were willing to lose their job, then preachers would stop losing their job whenever they reacted to this foolishness accordingly. I have stood before a congregation openly, and I have said that the penalty for gossiping is going to be public humiliation. That is Scripture. I am going to make you ashamed of gossiping about your fellow brethren or about your preacher or about your elders. There was a big problem in that congregation where I was about gossip. Most congregations have an issue with gossip. This was a this this congregation a big problem. And I said, the next time I have to do this, I'm I said, I know that some of you are squirming in your seats. I'm not going to call any names. Next time I'm going to call names publicly. And I'm going to give you a chance to say publicly what you said about that person privately. I don't, it probably did not stop with some people, but it was kept at a low hum 
instead of a instead of a lion's roar. And I wasn't fired because I had a group of men that stood behind me. And I also wasn't fired, I think, because they knew I wasn't concerned with losing my job. They knew that I was doing the right thing. Another congregation, much the same, and I was fired. The Strathmore Church of Christ in Toronto, that congregation was one of the worst I've ever seen about the elders being immoral people catering to another group of immoral people who didn't know enough about the Bible to even form an opinion on what was going on, and they fired me because I called them out publicly. And I would not do anything different. I would do it all over again. More preachers need to be that way. If every preacher acted in such a way as if they didn't care whether or not they lost their job, articles like this wouldn't have to be written so often. And we need this article. Number next. Members will challenge the preacher in his knowledge of Scripture. Brethren, let me tell you something. You don't know the Scriptures the way the preacher knows the Scriptures. The elders don't know the Scriptures the way the preacher knows the Scriptures. That's just it. Period. And and this guy makes the same point that I make all the time. Let me read what he said, then I'm going to finish my thought. The Bible is one of only a few areas where the barest hint of study is seen as the equivalent of a Ph.D. I cannot tell you how many times I have been making a point about a a study on the definition of a Greek word where I have spent hours and I have looked through 25 or 30 references from from esteemed lexicographers, people who write lexicons, experts in the ancient ancient text and ancient language. And I have been corrected by some punk, by some know-it-all, some well-actually person who has a $5 version of eSword. This happened in preaching school. We had a student try to correct one of our esteemed teachers on a Greek word because he had a computer lexicon. That teacher looked at him and said, if you do this again, you're no longer going to be allowed to have a computer in my classroom. You will never reference those, those commentaries and those books again while I'm teaching. Well, that's, that's fine to handle it that way in a preaching school. The problem is we should be handling it that way in the church. The Bible is the only is is one of only a few areas where the barest hint of study is seen as the equivalent of a PhD. Although the minister is a professional whose knowledge and facility and, and facility with scripture far surpasses that of most of the other members. It comes with the territory. When you spend roughly thirty to thirty five hours a week in sermon and class preparation, and I spend more than that, by the way. He will be treated far less, sometimes with condescension. condescension. I had one member 
who would ask me questions, and if I didn't answer them the way she wanted, read in a way that agreed with her, she would throw her hands up in the air and walk off in frustration, telling me that I hadn't answered her at all. I had another member who would email me questions about my sermons. He didn't listen very well because he would often get the opposite impression of what I said and then call me to account for it and sometimes complain to the elders. I have dealt with people like that as well. You know, mostly I just don't answer people's questions if they if they don't have a face-to-face interaction with me. And if I feel that they are not acting in good faith, I still won't answer their questions. I don't have to answer anybody's questions. But the point is, listen, a gospel preacher who's worth his salt, he spends more time in the scriptures by the time he's been to preaching school just the two years you're you're in preaching school, you have more hours in Scripture than a person who has been in the church 40 or 50 years. And it's different because it's it's just different. It's focused. Most, most of my brethren don't possess the level of knowledge to even formulate They, they don't even possess the level of knowledge to ask a good question. And that's sad. Now, I'll tell you this. If, if, you're a, if you're a long-time listener of this podcast, if you're part of the Digital Bible Study family, this doesn't apply to you because you get way more Bible than the average individual. But we're talking about the, the masses. And it's not, it's, it's not the people who are really studied that give the preacher problems. It's the people that don't study that give the preacher problems. That's who this article is about. Anyway, number six, he's on call 24-7. I'm not, I'm not going to read all this uh, for time's sake, but he's on call 24-7. Listen, we have an issue in our congregations of the preacher being the pastor. Elders, excuse me, preachers are doing the job of elders. Elders are doing the job of deacons. Deacons don't know what to do because nobody's ever told them. And the members at large run amok because they don't have scriptural body of leadership. So he's on call 24-7. Why? Why wouldn't the elders be the first people you call? Well. Actually, I'm going to read some of this. The preacher's the point man for the congregation. If somebody needs to get into the building but doesn't have a key, needs help to prepare for a wedding, or if a delivery needs to be made, the minister's the go-to guys. They babysit the building because they're the quote-unquote paid staff, even though it's never part of the job description. According to statistics, the average member works fifty to uh, at least 50 hours a week, and during COVID, it was far worse. They roughly worked 65 to 75 hours a week. They didn't have an end to their work day. Three-day weekends were about as common as seeing a real-life unicorn. They rarely get a day off. It might even include their time on vacation. And when taking personal time for needed rest and relaxation, people still call the minister for advice for mundane things that someone else could take care of. 
I've spent entire vacations, the author says, fielding calls almost daily from church members who knew I was out of town. This contributes to burnout, one of the most common reasons why ministers quit. Folks, let me read you my job description. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. I don't need to be going to the nursing home. I need to be studying the Bible. Well, let somebody else go to the nursing home. Do you want me to be what I'm supposed to be, ordained by God? Then you need to leave me alone and let me take heed to myself and to the Word of God. I'm not going to do the job of a pastor. And if you want a pastor, I'm not the preacher for you. I am unhirable in the mainstream churches of Christ. And it's because I refuse to be a pastor. And we are perpetuating this problem because all of our preaching schools are teaching our young men how to be pastors and not how to be evangelist Bible teachers. And I love my alma mater. But the system is not perfect, and it can be changed greatly in that way. And until people with more clout than me give voice to this, it's only going to get worse. He will probably be underpaid. Most people don't realize that ministers are typically underpaid for their skills. Finding a comparable job in the public or private sector would be generously compensated by comparison. Yes, if if you are doing everything that most preachers do, you need about $100,000 a year depending on where you are in the nation. You you need more than $100,000 a year in some areas. The sad thing is, this is the bottom sentence in this paragraph. Elderships may even justify paying the minister less because they believe the real reward is doing the Lord's work. When the scriptures plainly state, the laborer is worthy of his hire, and you shall not muzzle an ox as he treads out the grain. Do you think that the law was speaking of the ox on behalf of the ox, or do you think he was all, the law is altogether talking about man for man's benefit? If the preacher gives unto you of his spiritual things, it is your duty to give unto him of your carnal things. What you need to do is you need to take an average of the congregation and you need to see the median salary in the average of the congregation and you need to pay the preacher probably about 20% above that because of the skill demanded from the job, because of the job, the skill the job demands, he'll probably be underpaid. Ministers will be blamed for the church's failings. Even today, too many people see the minister as a paid labor for the church. They sit back and expect him to do the lion's share of the work. Not enough conversions, not enough baptisms, not enough people placing membership. Well, it must be the minister's fault. And if the dry spell goes on long enough, 
the church will fire him and hire another one and another one and another one. All the while, failing to understand that a church will not grow when it has a minister who works himself to death while members sit in the pews like spectators. The real problem is often within and has nothing to do with the minister's performance. Lots of ministers get blamed for bad leaders or individuals and families who run people off. That is absolutely the case. That is absolutely the case. I know of congregations that if a good preacher goes there, that good preacher will be devoured because he's going to be on fire. He's going to get people studying the Bible, baptizing people, and the congregation will ruin them. The congregation will run them off. The congregation will discourage them. He's not a figurehead. He's not responsible for the health of the, of the congregation. Number nine, preachers are not pastors, but members expect them to be pastors. Scripture says nothing about going to ball games, plays, or other school activities, although many ministers choose to do that. It also says nothing about the ministers being the only one to go visit shut-ins or the sick. There are a lot of pastoral responsibilities that elderships cede to the minister because he's the hired hand. Let me read this verse again. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Listen to me, lean in and listen. That's the preacher's verse. You want me to tell you the elder's verse? Take heed unto thyself and unto the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made thee overseers, to feed the church of God with he at which he hath purchased with his own blood. I'm going to do my work as a Christian, but I'm not going to be the pastor. I'm not going to be the representative of the church going to visit the nursing home or going to visit the person in the hospital. If, I, if you're in the hospital and I visit you, I visit you as your brother in Christ, not your preacher. If we had more preachers standing up and willing to say, bunk, I'm going to do my job that the Bible lays out, and I'm going to take heed to myself and to the doctrine, I'm going to teach that doctrine. I'm going to take that which thou hast heard of Paul and commit them to faithful men and women who are able to teach others also. And as a Christian, I'm going to visit and I'm going to be hospitable and I'm going to try to emulate the prerequisites of an elder. But I'm not going to be penalized if I don't visit anybody for a few weeks because I'm focused on study of God's word. Oh, you're going to fire me? I'll save you the trouble. I'll tender my resignation. But you're not, you're, I'm not going to do this. We've got, to, we've got to eschew this pastoral mindset. We've got to quit sending preachers to preaching schools and, and, and making pastors. Preachers frequently deal with discouragement. Well, of course, but, you know, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> Um, in a way, 
However, what this man writes is different. This What he writes about is all of this stuff that he's just written about culminates into this number 10, preachers frequently deal with discouragement. They work long hours, weather criticism and gossip, and are commonly expected to fix or apologize for others' mistakes. It should come as no surprise that 35 to 50% of ministers don't last five years, and 60 to 80% don't last 10, and only one in 10 will retire from ministry. Many people in your congregation wouldn't last a year as a minister. And yet they're treated as the proverbial redheaded stepchild. They're the they're the kicking boy, the scapegoat. Anything wrong with the congregation is the preacher's fault. Two members having a squabble, they can't work it out. Why didn't the preacher help? The community has an ill um an ill idea, an ill conception of the church. Well, it's the preacher's fault. You're not growing like you should. It's the preacher's fault. Somebody once joking, an elder once jokingly said to a preacher, I think we're going to start paying you by the baptism. To which the preacher replied, you couldn't afford it. I, I, what, what do you want to do? Give me a 10% commission on, on the value of a soul? Well, a soul is worth more than the entire universe. So whatever 10% of that is, you couldn't afford it. When a minister loses his job, he starts over from scratch. I'm going to read this, and I'm, I'm just going to read it, because I think we fire ministers in the church way too soon. You should fire a minister in the church with the same frequency that you withdraw fellowship, because that's what firing a minister is. Most people don't have to leave town, sell their homes, and uproot their families if they lose their job. They just find another one. Ministers losing their jobs lose their friends, homes, and communities. But so do their wives and children. They are, there are countless stories of a minister fired because one elder didn't like him or he was unpopular with a tiny group of individuals at church. Maybe one of the well-to-do members who held the purse strings wanted him gone or he was the victim of an influential member who conspired against him. This sounds exactly like what happened to me at Strathmore in Toronto. Maybe the eldership expected him to fix something that was beyond his power to repair. It all started with me teaching from Romans 14 about Christmas, and I made the comment that I had a Christmas tree, and one of those elders who's no longer an elder there wanted me to go before the congregation and tell the congregation I, and apologize for having a Christmas tree, apologize for saying I had a Christmas tree, and then vow that I would never have a Christmas tree again. I said, I'm absolutely not doing that because I would go to hell and you would too. Maybe the eldership expected him to fix something that was beyond repair or beyond his power to repair. There are many unfair reasons why a minister may be let go, but it doesn't just affect him. It affects his entire family. Some churches treat preachers like fast food fry cooks, 
and then have the audacity to wonder why so many former preacher's kids leave the church or become unbelievers. Who helps turn ministers' kids into atheists? Look at the person in the pew beside you. Or look in the mirror. Folks, that's sobering. You should fire the preacher with as much frequency as you practice church discipline. Because that's what it is. And if you had all this other stuff that's been in the article fixed, there would be far fewer preacher firings. Number 12, the minister serves the church, but he fights for his family. One of the most significant areas of concern for any minister is his family, especially his children. Imagine what a child thinks when they see their father and mother criticized, gossiped about, verbally challenged, and blamed for things beyond their control. When their father has to cut short family time because of a church emergency or what someone thinks is an emergency, when they get blamed for things because they're the preacher's kids and it's safe to rebuke them to send a message to the rest of the youth, when trying to figure out why their family doesn't get invited to social events like their friends' families do, while their parents don't seem to have any close personal friends in the congregation, the list could go on and on. Ministers are cheerleaders for the church. They also have to put up a rear guard defense for their children against some of the very people they're serving. My family and I have dealt with every one of the 12 problems listed above in almost every church I've served, whether it's a pulpit minister, involvement minister, or teacher in a school of preaching. These are my observations from personal experience. There are other issues ministers face that I haven't experienced. Please read this carefully. The list above merely represents what is often par for the course. There are worse things ministers endure that didn't make my cut. Thank you, minister, for doing all the things most people never see. Let me thank your minister. Thank your minister for doing all the things that most people never see. Invite him to spend some time with you and your family after lunch next Sunday. You might even think about giving him a token of your appreciation. Then make a plan to do something every few weeks to show him and his family that they aren't just hired hands and are truly your spiritual family. Chances are they really need it. Let me explain something to you really quickly. At this point in time, I don't need any of that because I get it so often. The Riverview Church of Christ makes me feel like an integral part of their church family. We are a cohesive family unit, and I feel very well respected. These people are, there's people in this congregation, they, even when they encounter something with which they disagree, they chew on it. They don't argue. They, some of the, there's some things that I've taught that have been matters of judgment that a few of them don't agree with me about. But guess what? We've had healthy conversation. And my, my idea is you don't have to agree with me. In fact, I even, if I'm, if I'm talking about a matter of judgment or a, or a particular interpretation of a, of a passage of Scripture that's difficult, I'll, I'll say, here's how I interpret this, and this is what I teach. But let me give you a viable opposing argument, opposing opinion, or interpretation on this. They loved that. I had one man come up to me, come up to me after church uh, after Bible class, rather, and he said, you know, I, I understand what you're saying, and I, I, I hear what you're saying. I just don't know if I agree with it. And I smile, and I'm like, well, you ain't got to. 
The beautiful thing is, you're baptized into Christ. You know the situation, or you know the conditions of the scenario in, in, of which you were baptized or in which you were baptized. So you know it's not an issue for you. And from, from all the time that you're going to baptize somebody, you want to make sure you do it like this. So there's no reason. You, you, can, you, you don't have to disagree with me. I mean, you don't have to agree with me. And he's like, well, I'm, I don't know if I disagree with you or not. I said, well, you're just chewing on it. He goes, yeah. Yeah, I'm chewing on it. Anyway, that, that's, that's healthy because there's a mutual respect there. And one of the reasons why there's a respect there, a mutual respect, is I'm not the pastor. I don't do, I don't do pastor things. I do 1 Timothy 4.16 things. Now, does that mean that I don't go visit people? Does that mean that I don't uh, have a healthy relationship and foster relationships outside of the congregation? Or excuse me, outside of the four walls of the building? No. But when I go see somebody, I'm not going to see them as the quote-unquote preacher. I'm going to see them as their brother in Christ. And listen, my only, my only critique, I guess, if I could say about this article, is and and look, I'm not. Uh, it's not lost upon me the dilemma of having to worry about your job. But if all preachers acted in such a way as if they were not worried about their job then there would be far fewer preachers suffering with issues like this in this article. We absolutely need to preach the word, to be instant in season and out of season, to rebuke, reprove, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Anyway, 46 minutes. I didn't realize it was going to be this long. I didn't mean for it to be this long. I've actually got about another hour and a half worth of material I think my next podcast, I am going to talk about, oh man, why'd it do this? Hold on. Yeah. My next uh, podcast, we're going to talk about understanding the dark triad. That will be Monday's podcast. So the Monday's podcast is on, almost going to be like a part two of this because the congregations need to hear what's in this article. The congregation, and, and, and it's kind of bad for the congregations. So, you know, we, we've, we've really hurt, the, we've really went at the congregations today. Monday, we're going to go after the preachers because there is an issue and there is justification for firing a preacher, for getting rid of a preacher. And... And, and there is a there is a problem in the Lord's church when it comes to preachers, and part of that part of identifying that problem and understanding and fixing the problem is understanding the dark triad. And um, there's a website called Mind Tools, and um, we're gonna we're gonna look at an article from Mind Tools and uh, talk about the dark triad because I've been observing this for years. Um, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, um, in fact, I'm going to put this link 
in the article. The, the link is in the show notes. But there's also going to be in the comments, if I can find it, a link to my Etsy store. And you can um, you can go to that Etsy store and you can purchase a T-shirt. That T-shirt will ship to Canada. I have sold one T-shirt thus far. I'm on my way to be a T-shirt selling mogul, a multi-billionaire of the T-shirt selling variety because I've sold one. You know, all I got to do is sell about a million more and I'll be rich. No, all, all that is all jokes aside. Um, if you want to support the podcast, but you want to get receive a little something back besides more of me talking, then order your T-shirt and I'll have some more designs available. And I'm kind of excited about this. Um, now, good afternoon, Connie Barden, Soli. Good afternoon, Aloha from Hawaii. Awesome. And uh, Connie Barton says, our preacher is one of our elders and tell us he is available 24 uh, 7. Look, that is his prerogative. There's nothing wrong. If, if, if that's, if, if you want to tear that boundary down and you want to say, I'm available 24 7, and that's, and, and that's up to you. You remember Titus and Timothy. Paul had Timothy circumcised because he was going to be delivering the gospel to, to Jews. Titus, whenever in Galatians chapter 2, we read that certain Jews crept in privily to spy out our liberty in Christ, and they demanded to have Titus circumcised. And Paul said, we didn't even, we didn't even think about that, not even for an hour. What would it have been a sin for Timothy or for Titus to be circumcised? Would it have been a sin for Timothy not to be circumcised? The answer on both is no. But for expedient's sake, Paul decided to have Timothy circumcised, and he withstood having Titus circumcised. That's the principle at play with your elder slash preacher there, Connie. He says, hey, I'm available 24-7. That's his choice. But if the congregation required it of him, it may be he might be saying, look, you know, we, you're, you're taking advantage too much of my openness, and I need some time to myself. And there would be nothing wrong with that either. So anyway, good, good comment, Connie. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you made that comment so I could, I could add that layer. Hello, Sheila Cole. Good to see you. And Debbie Mangus. All right, guys, I'm shutting her down. I went about 20 minutes longer than I meant to. Uh, this has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. I hope you read that article. I hope you think about the things that I've said. And uh, I hope you subscribe, 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 and be the algorithm for us. Be sure and follow the Cogitations Facebook page. Be, be sure and share the live stream. There's four of you in the chat right now. Share it. There, if we had four shares, that would be amazing. And go to Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, whichever platform you listen on, and share the podcast. Copy the link and paste it to your personal Facebook page. And I, man, you won't, you, won't, you just don't know how much it'll help us out. Anyway, that's all I've got here. Thank you for listening. This is Tony Birth Cogitations, and we'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs>